Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. Uh, I am Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, the Director of Vocations for the Dominican Province of St. Joseph, and I am joined by Father Bonaventure Chapman. He's here with us. Hello. Yeah, there he is. Hi. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you just waved. If you're not watching on YouTube and listening, uh, you didn't see him wave. That's right. why I told Missed you he waved. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we are we're here at the beginning of June, which is just starting COVID hard to summer. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing how fast um, or slow three months went uh, without seeing people, other than Father Jacob Bertrand. Uh, but that's fine. Yeah, we're surviving. We're yeah. carrying on. Few people have had such a gift as I have had. And seeing me. Sure. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. You're Thank welcome. you. Real, real sign of our fraternity here. That's right. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. We were, we were just talking a couple minutes ago about like what was going on here, and it's kind of underwhelmingly not much, which I assume is the case for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, like your lives. Nothing is happening at the moment. But you're, there's an, it's sort of enunciation, I suppose. Like there's an anxiousness to this because at some point um, – we're going to burst forth from the kind of, you know, prenatal experience of COVID so that we can go out in the world and enjoy each other's company again. Interesting. That's a, that's a way to put it. Yeah. It's not a way I've heard it put yet. It's a Marian reading of this, uh, this experience. Reading. Yeah. We're, we're pregnant with, uh, with desire for social interaction and we're just waiting for the great uh, Christmas, you could say, hopefully in July, Christmas and Christmas in July. There you go. Um, the nativity of, of our, Entrance into society. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Father. Um, speaking of Our Lady, uh, this this episode this week, we thought that we would um, we talk about Mary because uh, you know this on on June first. So yesterday of this week, Wednesday of this week, on June first, um, we celebrated the memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church, uh, which is a new celebration, new worse. Yeah, a new like celebration, not even New Year. Yeah. This is the second one that was a, it's an obligatory memorial. That's right. Yeah. So the, the 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 church for two years now has been celebrating this um, this feast day, this memorial of Our Lady, Mother of the Church, on June first, um, following Pope Francis's sort of directive from 2018. Um, and by and in 2018, he instituted um, the memorial to be celebrated the, on the Monday after Pentecost. So it wasn't on Wednesday; it was on Monday. On the Monday after Pentecost, at the at the beginning it's of a Monday, of this week. it's a it's a it's a Monday. Yeah. always a Monday. Oh, Monday nice. after Pentecost. I wonder if this yeah. is the first. Maybe we should have research. Comment on below um, whether this is the only feast like designated for a Monday. You know, because you think other ones are designated for, of course, Sundays, a Thursday for Ascension and the Moon. Um, but like um, specific that this is de- this is always to be celebrated on a Monday. That's fascinating. I mean, the I Friday, of course, you always have. I wonder. If isn't after after the Sacred Heart, isn't there a Marian feast day on the Monday after the There's Sacred Heart? The Immaculate Heart of Mary. Is, is that, that on Monday? Oh, but that is on Monday. Or is that the Saturday? Before? Is that the Saturday? I don't know. It's interesting though. But yeah. we should have looked it up. But yeah, that's fair enough. Comment below. Yeah. Or don't. Or don't. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. It's the Homework end of it. for you all. So yeah. in any case, in 2018, Pope Francis instituted this memorial to be celebrated Monday after Pentecost. Uh, Mary, Mother of the Church. Um, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, I guess, even just topic, not the memorial, but the topic, the title itself, Mary, yeah. Mother of the Church. Uh, a few, I guess, probably a little over a month ago, I was talking to somebody who was, you know, asked 
a question about Our Lady and sort of the Catholic relationship to Our Lady and, and how, sort of the classic question, like where does this fit in coming from the scriptures and into faith and Mary kind of idolatry worship type yeah. thing. And one of the things um, that I mentioned in our conversation was uh, Mary's role as mother of the church from mm -hmm. the gospel of, of John at the end with Mary and John standing at the foot of the cross, just the way the conversation was going. And that's, that's the traditionally understood to be where um, our Lord from the cross um, entrusts John, the apostle John to, to Mary and also Mary to the apostle John or to the church, to the body there. Um, so the, the idea uh, of, of Mary's sort of mothership, can we say that? Maternity. Maternity of, yeah. over the church. Mothership sounds like, sounds like Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, Star no, that's yeah. not the best. Maternity maybe, um, maternity. But is, is traced back, um, you know, to, to the scriptures, at least in some way so that we seems, can, yeah. that the tradition holds. Um, in, in looking at, uh, at the document that the Holy Father issued a couple years ago to, to institute this, this, memor uh, this memorial, this, this feast day, I think it's important to sort of begin by pointing out the, the tradition and the scriptural underpinnings. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah. um, because we could say, well, often a lot of Marian devotion or practice is sort of a medieval accretion or a medieval addition to yeah. kind of Catholic piety or Christian piety. And here we have one that's added, you know, in yeah. 2018. Yeah, I think, and I think a lot of people, so the, I guess from Protestant side or just even some Catholics who might not know, might think, oh, well, of course, Mary stuff is all from later in the medieval times when the church kept the Bible from the people and no one knew the Bible. And so they just started worshiping Mary in this way and all developing these things. And of course, that's completely false. Um, so that with these understandings that Father Jacob Bergen is going to talk about, the, the history of this toward titles, which go back from almost all the titles as well to Mary, that Marian, Marian devotion and, um, and adoration in the sense, although not in the technical sense, she gets hyperdulia, I think, mm -hmm. in the sort of old way of, so, so more than veneration, but not worship, is something that goes back to the early church, not only the scriptures, but also in the early church and looking at the fathers. So even though Pope Francis in 2018 declares this a, a memorial, a new memorial, it's not like he woke up one morning and said, you know what, mother of the church, let's worship her under that title. Um, it's more like, this has been something that's reflected through a long period of time. It feels like in this moment of the church, this is an important moment and we can trace. And if you read the document tracing how this goes, that's true for all the Marian documents, Macca conception, uh, the assumption into heaven. If you read those papal documents about those, you'll see a little like history or genealogy of where this all comes from. Uh, that's not just out of the blue and it's this, there's a richness there. So, yeah, I think, and if we look at the Holy father's, um, decretal on on establishing this memorial, he cites two scripture two scripture passages to sort of um, give the, the the foundation here. The the one is already I already mentioned from John nineteen um, when when Mary's standing beneath the cross with the beloved disciple. Um, the second one is he he references references Acts one mm -hmm. um, when the disciples are praying in in the upper or in the locked room after after the crucifixion, but before or after the resurrection, but before Jesus's first appearances, um, and, and in the presence of Mary, and in her role, um, he calls her a caring guide to the emerging church. Uh, Mary had already begun her, uh, her mission in the upper room, praying with the apostles while awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this sort of set the groundwork, right? So we have Mary, of course, as the mother of God, Mary at the foot of the cross, Mary present 
as in in the Acts of the Apostles, as the church began to coalesce mm-hmm. and come together, her presence is is there throughout the the entirety of that process. Uh, and then, if we look at the church fathers, Saint Augustine, um, the Holy Father cites to Saint Augustine and Saint Leo the Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so Saint Augustine and Saint Leo both died in the middle of the fifth century, so some hundreds of years later. But we have to remember that these traditions and devotions developed over time in the popular piety of the early church and that typically the church responds to problems. So it doesn't proactively make declarations, but sort of responds to problems. So for example, um, the great Christological debates of the early church, when the, the sort of dogmatic declarations of who Christ was or who Christ is, for example, true God and true man, this was settled. The church didn't kind of say, let's get together and make declarations on all this. But in response to heresies and misunderstandings, the church said, well, let's clarify. Let's take time to walk through this. So St. Augustine um, describes Mary. He says that Mary is the mother of the members of the church because with charity, she cooperated in the rebirth of the faithful into the church. Um, and then St. Leo the Great, who died some 30 years later, said the birth of the head is also the birth of the body. So the birth of Christ is also the birth of the church, thus indicating that Mary is at once mother of Christ, the son of God, and mother of the members of his mystical body, which is the church. So we have these scriptural underpinnings. We have these uh, underpinnings in the tradition in the patristic period that then sort of develop over time to greater popular piety. Um, I would say that two things. Um, in the Second Vatican Council in 1964 declared Mary to be the mother of the church. Hmm. So as the first kind of official declaration. Um, and that was an important, uh, the, the whole discussion of Mary in the Second Vatican Council is interesting. Um, I remember studying this because I, I wrote my, uh, my thesis in uh, at Oxford as an Anglican on, ecclesi- on ecclesiology and sacramentality. Um, and so looking at Lumen Gentium, so the, the, doc, the document on the church itself, the dogmatic constitution on the church, Lumen Gentium, there was a question before going to the Second Vatican Council, it was a question of how they would deal with Mary. And the original proposal was to have a separate document mm-hmm. on Mary. But what you find instead is that Lumen Gentium, they decided that Mary had to be so closely associated to the church because she is in a sense the archetype the first the first member even though she gives birth to the church in a sense and giving birth as, as saint augustine talked about with, with christ um or as saint leo saint leo, saint leo yeah. that's right um so she gives birth but she is also the first recipient this is the the mystery of predestination and and her immaculate conception she's, she's the first recipient of of Christ's grace. So in the sense that she, she is the member of the church. She is the body of the church preeminently. And we looked at that. So it's, it's at, in Lumen Gentium, the end. So after it goes through some discussions of what the church is, people of God, um, body of Christ, m- a pilgrim on, on the way, this sort of thing. So it has these different titles under the church and talks about the hierarchy, you know, so the whole, uh, call the whole universal call of holiness. And it ends with Mary as, as the, as, as the mother of the church, mother, Mary, mother of God in Jesus Christ and the church. That's the title of the section on there, which is, which is really important. We'll get into that later, why they combine those two together. But the, so Vatican II, Lumen Gentium is interesting in that it doesn't see Mary, the council fathers don't see Mary as, as like a separate piece and then the church is another piece, but they're united in a way that 
when we ask what is the church, we can ask what, who is Mary. When we ask who is Mary, we can then ask who, what is the church. Yeah, there's, there's a, um, an interesting correlation of when we talk about the, the, Ark of the, Co- uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament and how that in some ways foreshadows Mary who's the, who, um, you know, who held the, the Christ child in her womb and sort of housed and, and uh, the Son of God and how that the Ark of the Covenant in so many ways represents before the temple was born, the Ark was put in the temple, but, you know, the, the early sort of establishment of, of the church. And the same thing we see with Mary, as you were saying, that she is she she is the, the God-bearer, the mother of God, but also the, the first recipients of of those graces yeah. of the church. That's right. Um, so the, the the Second Vatican Council again, you know, twentieth century, not not early, not. In, there's nothing about the Second Vatican Council in Scripture and the, and the Church Fathers. Obviously, you know, there's it's not an see ancient hints thing. in the in the Scriptures to the Second Vatican Council, but they're just barely hints. That's not, true. Yeah, um, not true. That's not true. <laughs> but uh, all the same, that there there's again here the Church is not acting as sort of redefining something or making something up, but sort of allowing revelation to to become um to sort More of unfold and articulate and better, way, yeah. also uh, reigning in um council, reigning in a concern that mary was going to be separated so that you had christ the church and then mary she's this third other and and the the, the council fathers said no, no 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 mary is not separate from us she is she is a human like us she's not this other being and we need her to be like us because then she can actually relate to us and be a, an assistant and a real mother to us. Right. And in that, the Second Vatican Council was calling on, on that mother of the church, Mater Ecclesiae, the Second Vatican Council was calling on a title, at least historically, for which there's evidence or proof or um, yeah, remaining documents that St. Ambrose, from all the way back to St. Ambrose, who was the first to call Mary the mother of the church, of course, not in a dogmatic kind of fashion, as as a as an ecumenical council, as not like, offhand, but it's like a quick joke either. Right, right, yeah, exactly. So that we see. So if you if we want to trace, because I think sometimes it's important for people when they say, "Well, why do we do this?" or "Why do we believe this?" or "Why do we practice this?" Or like, where where are the origins of it? That yeah. it's not simply that Pope Francis in 2018, as Father Bonaventure already said, woke up woke up and kind of was like, well, let's have another feast day on the calendar, or let's call Mary by a new title. And it's not as if the Second Vatican Council in the middle of the 20th century did this, but we can see the development all the way yeah. back. And Cardinal Cardinal Newman, uh, St. Cardinal Newman at this point, is the, is the key doctrine of the church on this one, or hopefully be a doctrine church soon because of his doctrine of development, that the, the mysteries of the faith are something that's unpacked over time right and it's so that the mysteries of the faith and the life of faith is like a seed that's planted and then grows up and you and in a sense like when you just you put a seed in the ground you imagine a small child see the seed and it's oh cool a seed why are we burying that and then all of a sudden something starts to sprout a little stem and some leaves and you say, wow that's really great what could be better and then like a flower shows up you know oh my gosh i didn't expect that and then the fruit shows up and you're like, delicious i want some delicious fruit Right, and that's all encoded in some weird mysticism slash science in the DNA of the seed. But you wouldn't put it. But so it's all in organic unity with it. Even though if you showed someone a seed and showed someone an apple or something, they'd say this isn't the same. No, it's the same thing. It's just developed. In the same way with the doc- doctrines of the faith, they they mature out through these very simple things, but through the Holy Spirit's guidance, as we just saw with Pentecost. Um, we reflect more and more and more is revealed 
about them that is consistent with the original seeds, but is something in some ways you wouldn't have ever expected. It only makes sense after. And that's what a lot of these doctrines are. Yeah, precisely. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take just a short break uh, and then we'll come back to talk about this, the, the sort of impact that Mary, but more specifically, this, this feast day has on, on our lives as Catholics. We'll be right back. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. All right, welcome back to God's Planning. We've, um, we've been talking here about this new uh, memorial, this new Marian feast day that we have on the calendar, uh, Mary, the mother of the church, or Mater Ecclesiae. Uh, and we've sort of laid out in the first half of the podcast some of the, the underpinnings, going from scriptural underpinnings through the fathers, you know, jumping about 1,800 years to the Second Vatican Council, Council yeah. and uh, and then into 2018 when when Pope Francis declared this as um, this feast day to be celebrated the Monday after Pentecost. Um, so now that we've kind of laid that out, we and, and we sort of started with this idea that um, sort of a defense and a, an apology mm-hmm. for this. Why why Mary, Mother of the Church? Why do we celebrate Marian feast days? What's the role? But that that's something that I think we're gonna we're gonna dive into a little bit more now here because we often hear uh, perhaps from I would say most especially from Protestants or the you know fallen away Catholics that that there's a sort of worship of Mary or this kind of idolatry with with Catholics and Mary um, and even amongst you know good Catholics perhaps a misunderstanding why do I need to pray to Mary why is she important in the church's life should she be important in my life um, so Father Bonaventure is is a convert to Catholicism and it, it, this is a question I'm sure that he is you know had to deal with wrestle with in some way, perhaps more than me as a kind of cradle Catholic, and this is just, you know, what Catholics do type thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, what, what do you think, Father, about the Mary, Mother of the Church? Um, well, why? What's the yeah. import, importance? So I think, as a, and I remember when I was a Protestant, um, the Mary stuff did seem strange. It seemed strange to people because Protestants are about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's great. Why we want some other than Jesus, right? Um, anyone else is going to be tra- detracting the light from Jesus. So what's going on there? And uh, again, I think it was St. Cardinal Newman, from my reading of it, uh, pointed this out, but the Church Fathers pointed this out as well, that there was, there's a basic like hermeneutical key, an interpretive key about any of the titles. So Mary, Mother of the Church, Mary, the Mother of God, the Theotokos, any of these, any of these titles that sound way overblown. You think, why are we heaping up praise on, on Mary? when we should be praising God and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And Cardinal Newman, I think, was the first person I read. Of course, he was, he was himself a, a Protestant. He was an Anglican and converted through reading the early church fathers and, and thinking about the development of doctrine. And he pointed out that, I think this is, this, is, this is correct, the only reason we say anything of high praise to Mary is because we're forced to, in relation to her son, so the reason why we give titles to Mary is because of the titles of Christ. And I think the mother of Mary, the mother of God is the clear example of this and kind of in a sense is the paradigm case for any titles, because it's hard to imagine a better, a, a more significant mother title than being mother of God. I mean, mm-hmm. Mother of prime matter doesn't even really exist and have differentiation. Mother of, of, of squirrels, who cares? Mother of God, God's kind of, he's it's sort important. of, 
sort of on the high part, um, maybe even beyond the, the, the scale of being, what have you. So being mother, once you're mother of God, like once you agree with that, then like mother of church, mother of anything else shouldn't be a problem. And that's the paradigm case because it also seems absolutely absurd because God is, un, is was uncreated. You know, how could God be mother? And what Newman points out and the church fathers did in defending this title, which is very early, I think it's the Council of Ephesus that comes up with this, it's the 400s, um, is that if you don't call Mary the mother of God, then Jesus is not God incarnate, right? Because if Jesus is true God and true man, but if you say, and you say Mary is only the mother of Jesus' man, you're not saying that he's true God. You're saying that something heretical, actually. You're saying that Jesus is a man born of Mary, and then there might be a divine part to him. But Jesus is not God, because Jesus, because Jesus is the son of Mary. So what true Jesus has to be related to Mary's. So the, the early church fathers, when they're, te- when they're defending uh, the, the mother of God, the Theotokos, against those who say, no, we just want to say she's the mother of a man, they don't just finally say, no, no, if you want to say Jesus is God, then we have to say, if we believe that he's true God and true man, flesh, incarnate, that Mary is the mother of God in the flesh. She is. So that the reason why you have that high title, the Theotokos, is because you have such a high reverence for Christ. And if you therefore show less reverence to Mary, then you're denying yourself the reverence to Christ. Yeah. There's there, this, and this is the precise sort of, pointer argument that I like to make or use the tool that I like to use in sort of um, answering the question of like, well, why do we, you know, why do we owe Mary reverence? It's not in the scriptures. It's, you know, you we're not told to by Christ. These sorts of, and granted that's, that's true in many cases. Um, but, but the idea that, that Mary exists, her whole existence is, is to, is to glorify God. I mean, the, she not as a sort of like pawn or a tool. I mean, she's yeah, free in this, but right. but her life is so her life stands as Father Bonaventure was talking about earlier in the podcast stands as that example of of like the fullness of grace of the power of sanctifying grace that she is so transformed that this is that grace is so able to transform and elevate a person to live the virtues perfectly to live in perfect union with God. Um, that, that she's our example in this, um, but she she lives and and lives in such a way so as to glorify God. And it's that glorification, that radiation of, of the glory of God that is, leads us, leads the faithful to, uh, to know her son better, yeah. to and, understand him better. And, and I mean, this is so, I know Father Jacob Persian loves analogies, um, so, so I have one for this, because it's important with these Marian titles, is to ask, it's not, people get upset, like, you know, why would you call them? You gotta figure out why something is called that. So, and it's not always obvious quite at first what's going on. So I was thinking, um, imagine you see Father Jacob Birch and I wandering around the street or something. You say, oh, go look at those fraternal friends. You're so happy to be together. And then say I lop off Jacob, Father Jacob Birch's hand, right? You say, wow, that was an act of profound lack of charity, right? To say yeah. the least, mm-hmm. right? But then you have to, you could say, well, he's just, he obviously hates him. He doesn't like him. There's no act of friendship there. But you have to question, well, why did I lop off the hand? Why? And then you look around, you notice there's a rattlesnake and that Father Jacob Bertrand was trying to pick up the snake and the snake bit him. And the only way to save Father Jacob Bertrand from poisoning his body would be to actually cut off his hand, right? So that then, it, I mean, you might still think, well, it's a strange, couldn't you just suck the blood out or that sort of thing? But I don't know how that works, you know? So and a figure is tourniquet or what have you. But the act changes because you realize the why. 
of that. So what goes from seeming like a strange kind of lack of charity, chopping off someone's hand, actually goes into like the supreme form of love, trying to save save your brother's life. Yeah, right? so there's no need to cut off my hand. It's kind of a Isn't another that stupid analogy, but No, but I, I thought people don't people yeah. if they get poisoned. Isn't that what you do? I've not ever done that. But well, I know, but have you ever been bit by a snake? I've not. Look, fair. if I have a machete and you get bitten by a snake, all right, just be ready. Okay, so in the same way, when you think, well, mother, mother of God, that's crazy, or mother of the church, wow, what a bizarre title. That doesn't sound like Christian stuff. And you say, well, why are they doing that? And you say, oh, mother of God, to protect Jesus' divinity as incarnate. Well, yeah, that's then it is actually the most Christian and the most... Uh, the most Jesus-centered thinking of, of, of how we name something. Okay, same thing with the mother of the church. For instance, you have to ask, why the mother of the church? Go back to Jesus. And this is where, so um, for those of you at home, Denzinger, um, this is a source textbook of Henrik Denzinger of all the councils and the important stuff and things. And it has in here Vatican II, of course. And if you look at when it talks about the mother of, Mary as mother of the church, it says this, this maternity of Mary in the order of grace begun with the consent that she gave in faith at the Annunciation that she sustained without wavering beneath the cross at last until eternal fulfillment of the elect. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the salvific duty, but by her constant intercession continued to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. By her maternal charity, she cares for the brethren of her son who still journey on earth surrounded by dangers and difficulties until they are led into the happiness of their true home. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked by the church under these titles. That's the, that's the key. Mother, motherhood, in this case of the church, is think about a mo how a mother cares for a small child. Mary cared for Jesus, who was dependent upon her when he was growing up, and she was with him, and she was caring for him, and nurturing him, and tending to him, and all of this. So, in as far as we want to say that she cares for Christ and acts as a mother, she mothers, well, of course, when she's in heaven now at his right hand, what is she doing but mothering his friends? And everyone has friends when you, when you invited your friends over to play or something, your mother didn't treat you nicely and brought, give you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then said, well, just go home. The kids, your friends, you're his friends. No, the, the mother takes care of those friends that are with him. That's right. Same way here. Yeah, and, and I think in the in an even more um, supernatural and and real way, um, with respect if we, if we consider things with respect to to the graces and the reality that we receive uh, in virtue of our baptism, uh, becoming adopted sons of and daughters mm, of yeah. of the Father and and co heirs with Christ in That's that right. um, sons in the Son, right? Exactly, and and so therefore. Um, sort of adopted sons and, and daughters of Our Lady, um, of our mother, um, well, of Mary, who is, who is our mother in that. And to, to Bonavent Father Bonaventure's point, the, um, the, the sort of desire for uh, the, the, the good and the goodness, the salvation of, of, those, of her children, of, of us. You know, Mary continues to intercede in heaven um, for the body, the mystical body as, as, um, as St. Leo the great part, the mystical body that is the church, that Mary has care for that body over which her son is, 
his head. And I think everyone knows, this isn't just true for Jewish mothers, it's people in the first century, but everyone knows a mother has a hard time not being a mother. Mother's mother, they spent their whole life. So even when you're, even when you're graduated from college or you have your own children or something and you go and it's more after Memorial Day or holidays, you go and your mother is still mothering you. She's saying, hey, are you doing this? Are you put, and it's out of love because that's what they do. Well, of course, if Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ, of course he's going to, she's going to continue to mother all of his, her new adopted sons. And that makes perfect sense. If you think that the saints are real and they, they have powers in heaven to intercede, then this follows naturally from everything we, we else believe. And therefore it's a development out of the teachings that we have through the centuries. That's right. I think you mentioned earlier, Father Bonaventure sort of at least alluded to the timing of of this new feast day of, you know, the, why, why would, so here we are 2000, well, here that here we were in 2018, now just two years after in 2020 with this new feast day, why would, you know, we could ask ourselves, why would this feast day, why would the Pope now declare some 2000 years later, you know, after the liturgy has been sort of codified and feast days have been on the calendar for thousands of years and these sorts of things. And of course we had new saints, but why celebrate, um, you know, why now would we, would we want to sort of add this new feast day, this new titled uh, Marian feast day to the calendar? And I think it's important that we ask that question because mm -hmm. I think it reflects the way in which the Holy Father sees um, sort of the state of the church. Um, I think, and I think we can safely assume or kind of interpret that um, the church is at a point when it really needs, um, when it really does need maternal care. That's not mm -hmm. always soft and sappy and sort of like cuddly, though, you know, we kind of have that, you know, mothers are comforting and these sorts of things, but mothers also direct and, and teach and purify and these sorts of things, you know, mm -hmm. purify. Um, and, and I think the Holy Father is, is absolutely right to recognize that the church as a whole, as an institution, is in need of that sort of mm -hmm. um, guiding maternal care, that hand that's at once tender but also firm. Yeah. Um, but also the individual, the, the faithful in the church who, who have been suffering. Uh, we can think of the, priest, the, the scandals of the priesthood. Now, in 2020, we can think about the suffering that the faithful are going through through the pandemic. Yeah. Um, it seems really apt and really profound, both on an institutional level and on a personal individual level, to call our attention, which is what the Holy Father is doing, calling our attention to Mary's motherhood over the church, but also over us, reminding us, calling us to, to turn to her in, yes. our, in our devotion and, and implore her, her intercession for our behalf. It's not, as if, it's not as if Mary wasn't the mother of the church until 2018 when this happened. Right. Right or whenever somebody it's not like we're waiting for that. And so all of a sudden she's up in heaven. She's oh, I guess I've got to start mothering the church like I mothered my son. No, she's always doing this. And so what the what Francis what Francis did here as Father Jacob Bertrand said is to turn our attention now to a time when we need her intercession in a sense more than ever as the West particularly goes through not just the pandemic but the church in the modern world and our continual working out of what it means to live in the society in a post-Christian society in a way, but as, as a church, as the body of Christ. Yeah. So as, you know, as we, who knows, get through the years with this feast day, I think each year it'll be a great reminder for us to call upon Mary as, you know, as members of the church, as co-heirs with Christ, as sons and daughters through, through baptism to call on her as, as our mother to, to remind, to be a reminder to us to, to beg her intercession um, as only a mother can care for us. It's, it's a beautiful comfort uh, to have in our, in our lives.
Um, any last thoughts on Mary, mother of the church, Father Bonaventure? You no, know, I have to say uh, only that as a as a Protestant, it always it seems strange to me why I need Mary, but as a Catholic, um, I find she does nothing to detract from my life with Christ, but only adds to it because a mother cannot do anything but praise and draw others to her sons. As everyone knows of the mother, a mother is not most proud about her mothering, but about those whom she mothers over. So I, I would encourage those anyone listening who is, who is skeptical of Mary's role and the way that it might d- detract from Christ's to think about whether their own mother or mothers uh, like to put themselves forward or rather prefer almost inordinately sometimes putting their own children forward and then ask yourself how different could that possibly be with someone who doesn't even have sin. That's great. Well, thanks for tuning in. Um, know that we are you know, continuing to pray for you as the, the pandemic uh, restrictions, God willing, start to live and remembering you at the altar. If you think that this episode would be helpful for somebody, particularly a Protestant friend or somebody who has questions about Mary, please send it their way. Um, like us on our platform, share us, um, whether or not you're continuing to tune in. Um, that's, we're grateful for that. Uh, looking forward in the calendar, uh, just to some other stuff that the that the province of St. Joseph is putting out. Of course, the Thomistic Institute is still putting out their, their quarantine lectures and their new series, um, Understanding Aquinas, kind of lectures on the Aquinas 101 series. So check that out. That's still Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. Um, we are continuing on with our Thursday episodes uh, as we have been. And also, um, if you haven't, there this past uh, week, there was a retreat um, that Alatea broadcast with the Dominican Friars and the Sisters of Life for Pentecost on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in anticipation of Pentecost, but also something perhaps to listen as you, God willing, are getting back into your car to go to work or these sorts of things just to tune in and um, something that we don't often talk about, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So again, thanks for listening. Feel free to share, like us, all of that. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planet a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.